Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans, Franco watchers, Franco files, and casual viewers and listeners. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions. And when this episode drops or releases, or whatever the word you like to use is, uh, is going to be in. Uh, as you're listening to this, the date is July 20th. I'm actually recording this uh, on uh, very last week of June here. But July 20th, which means the very next day, my film, Desperate Visions film, Lady Hyde, will be premiering on July 21st. That's tomorrow at uh, 7 p.m. at the Dreamland Cinema in Sacramento, California. You can go online and uh, check it out, and check out their website at thedreamlandcinema.com. You can check them out and um, see how they are. It's a really cool Sacramento uh, little micro-cinema. It's like about 25 seaters, and uh, they book all basically new release, indie, underground, cult stuff, like for instance in July... They're showing a few film premieres besides my own, um, and then they're showing Santa Sangre, and they're showing uh, Multiple Maniacs, uh, but I'm a cheerleader, uh, The Love Witch, they're showing um, quite a few other films, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a really cool building and a cool business, and a very cool theater, so I'm proud to be the first uh, Northern California film that's going to be playing there, premiering at their new establishment, so yeah, check it out, uh, thedreamlandcinema.com. And uh, buy your tickets online and uh, make a vacation and come out and check out their theater sometime. I'm sure you'll like it. Uh, maybe I could talk to them about doing a Franco thing. So, yeah, that'd be something cool to do. But, on to this episode, which is episode 97, film 97, Eugene, or Eugenie, or Eugene, history una perversion that's the Spanish theatrical title and uh, it's Eugenie story of a perversion another trip back to familiar territory by Jess Franco but this version is 1980 which is uh, I think this is about the fourth or fifth stab at it something like that but we'll go into that as we go along so yeah 1980 Spain of course, being a Franco film, it's got a lot of alternative titles. The West German uh, theatrical title is Lolita at the Crossroads. Lolita am Schweidweg. Schweidweg. Or the U.S. Spanish language video retitling is just Erotismo. The Spanish video cover, Eugenie. The Spanish DVD, Wicked Memoirs of Eugene English Language Video Eugene A History of Perversion uh, That's the generated screen title Origin Unknown uh, The shooting title of this Which I always dig the most If you listen to the show uh, The shooting title The original title that he had this going as Was Desaad 2000 Which is interesting Because it's not in the year 2000 It's 1980 But uh, yeah, had 2000 It sounds so futuristic I like it I should use that as well. See, he always says cool titles he never uses. And finally, the Finnish th- 
theatrical version, Lolita, Princess of Love, Lolita, Limin, Papatar. All right, production company, J.E. Films. Uh, theatrical distributor, Interdistribution Cinematrafica, S.A. Oh, yeah, before I go any further, too. Of course, all information I pull uh, for this and all their episodes is from this period of Franco's career. Uh, the book, Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower. He, so he took the time to collect all the data, so always give credit where credit's due. Uh, let's see. Timeline on this. He shot this in July and August, right around this time. Of 1980, so cool. That's we're in this good groove right now, where uh, his period of film shooting is when we're doing these episodes. So yeah, I always like synchronicity. Hence, Jason synchronicity. Uh, shooting date July August 1980, and then uh, Spanish approval date finally was January 30th of 1981. Wow, September, October, November, December. Like five months later, boom, it was out. Uh, that's pretty awesome. That's a quick turnaround. Way quicker than I thought. Then uh, play Madrid, February 21st of 81. And German, uh, got the 18th certificate issued, February 23rd of 81. Then played Germany, March 5th of 81. And Seville, May 15th, 1981. Cartagena, June 6th, 1981. And finally Barcelona, November 9th, 1981. Uh, theatrical running time, Spain, 96 minutes, Germany, 77 minutes, 5 seconds. Video DVD running time, converted where necessary, German PAL VHS, 73 minutes 50, which it was 77, now it's 74 almost, that's the difference, about 3 minutes. And Spain, uh, the Caliente NTSC VHS is 94 minutes 35, where it was... It's 96, so that's two... That's about right, yeah. So about two to three minutes, about the same running time. Uh, Writer-director, of course, Jess Franco. Actually billed as Jess Franco on this. Producer, uh, Julian Esteban. Director of photography, Juan Solar Cozar. Of course, he's a familiar name now at this time. Uh, The assistant, Luis Dora Colombo. And then it says... um, Let's see... What does it have that there for the first one? Uh, he has a brother. Okay. Um, then it has, okay, as for Angel or Scotto or Juan Amaral. But Juan Amaral is the British assistant. Okay, so what's this here? Um, Juan Amaral, Lena Romay's brother, is credited on screen as production assistant. However, Juan Solar and Antonio Mayan state that Almorel never worked on any of Franco's films. His name was often used as a pseudonym by Franco, usually for camera credits or to make up the resequent number of Spanish credits for co-production financing purposes. According to Juan Solar, the credits for Antonio de Cabo, Luis Duer Colombio, and Nicole Gutierrez are also falsified. So yeah, that's something interesting. I'm glad I caught that and went back to it when I was reading this originally. I like that. It's another little, I guess, scam that Franco played where he added friends and family name to the credits so he would qualify for grants of having X amount of people from the area working. Therefore, uh, he could get the little like grant or credit or, or uh, loan or whatever it was um, for, for, to uh, 
co-production financing purposes. That's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's another little thing you like to do, so that's cool. And that's, that shows you, man, all these little ways to make movies. If you can figure it out, do it. Um, okay, back to the credits. Um, makeup, Guillermo Guerrero, of course. Assistant director, Lena Romay, as Rosa Maria Almarella. That's one of the three. Amarella, yeah, Joan Amarella. Uh, okay, and then uh, Nicole Gautiard, of course, editor with the star. And uh, music, Jess Franco, Daniel White as Pablo Villa. Music recording, Eurosonic on this one. Lab Madrid Films. Uncredited camera operator, Jess Franco. Uh, Spanish press book ads based on a book by Marquis de Sade. Actually, should be based on books by Marquis de Sade, because it's a mishmash, and you'll, you'll hear. Anyway, uh, let's see. Uncredited, of course, Jess Franco. Okay, cast. Actors that you see before you on the screen. Uh, Katja Binyart, this time, plays Eugene Tanner, joining a long line of Eugenies, or Eugenie. Um, Mabel Escano plays Alba de Rosa. Antonio Mayans, as Robert Foster, plays Alberto de Rosa. So, yeah, so the Rosas are the couple's name in this one. Uh, Lena Romay, as Candy Coster, plays Sultana, aka Princess Irina. Von Karlstein, and then Anna in the press books. God, that's a lot of credits. Antonio Riballo as Tony Squios plays Edwin Tanner. I like how everybody has a cre- as alias. Jeez, except for the two leads. Uh, yeah, Lyons has a student, uh, fake name. Romeo has a fake name. Riballo has a fake name. And then Leonardo Bellacosta as Melo Costa plays White Walter, the blind guitarist. Uncredited, Evelyn Binyart plays Miss Tanner, Eugene's mother. And the Manicoa Files adds Maria Gonzalez, a.k.a. Maria del Carmen Gonzalez. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Lolita on Schweiden, which is... Okay, so the West German version incorporates material from Die Insel der Tausend Freuden. 1978, featuring the following performers. Okay, there's another version. Uh, Beefy Laird, the blonde woman in the fantasy, okay, blah, blah, blah. Uh, note, IMDb says that NMS is in the Hebert Frank film. But just, okay, that's fine. Alright, uh, so of course we'll skip the synopsis for the main review portion. Um, we'll go to the production notes. Eugene, Historia de una Perversion, was a sign of things to come in Franco's career. It ruled out a newly stripped-back version of his cinema, bright lights, colorful compositions, an emphasis on clarity, and a generally more restrained use of the camera. His handheld style and use of zooms didn't exactly disappear, but there's a steadying of the tiller when it comes to framing and photographic quality. Some of this is down to the influence of lighting cameraman Juan Solar, although Solar himself stresses that Franco remained in full control of the camera and would decide if and when to follow his technical guidance. Franco himself was especially fond of the film, as he told Stephen Thrower in 2010. I didn't say that I like my films at all, but this is one of the best I made during that period. The release of a German version of the film, almost simultaneously with the Spanish one, leads me to suspect that there may have been some German production finance involved. If this is correct, it was probably Lisa Films out of Munich, or Rapid Films out of Munich, who contributed. During the shoot for Eugenie, 
Franco was asked to help on a German production that had gone into difficulties in nearby Alicante. The film in question, Kalt We Ice, was produced by these two Munich-based companies. Moreover, Franco went on to sign a deal with Lisa and Rapid Films for his next trio of pictures, Sadomania, Bloody Moon, and Linda. It would not be surprising if Franco used his brief stint on Kali Weiss to coax a deal out of the Germans for Eugenie while incurring a relationship for further productions. Also indicative, in, indicative of a business connection with the Germans is the fact that Lolita und Schweidwig includes scenes from Hubert Frank's 1978 sex film uh, Die Tansen Freuden, also known as Island of a Thousand Delights. Franco's Linda was also spliced with material from a Hubert Frank film, Vanessa, 1977. Both Die Insel der Tansen and Vanessa were produced by Lisa Films, co-producer of Linda and Kali Weiss. All right, review by Stephen Thrower. <clears throat> the extraordinary film is Franco's fourth visit to the well. Yes, I thought about fourth or fifth. Uh, fourth visit to the well of the Marquis de Sade's night seventeen seventeen ninety five, not nineteen seventy five. The Marquis de Sade's seventeen ninety five novella, Philosophy in the Bedroom. Nevertheless, it's a very much a new piece of work, bridging a spellbinding minimalism to bear on the material. Made for Julian Esteban's J.E. Films, it's the equal of such extraordinary Franco works as Shining Sex and Das Bildnis der Dorian Gray, 1975, sharing with them long stretches of disorienting narcotic sex and a sense of time standing still under pressure of the director's voyeuristic gaze. Minimalist, high-concentrated... I'm sorry, highly concentrated and often very beautiful. It's Franco's most mesmerizing treatment of his by now famous, familiar, Sedean tale of two lovers, brother and sister, who spy upon a beautiful young girl and decide to seduce her into sexual slavery. The girl in question is played by Katja Binyard, a German actress whose early entry into films of an erotic nature has stirred comment about the suitability of the roles she was taking. She was approaching her 14th birthday at the time Eugenie was shot, which means her appearance in the film was entirely in accordance with Spanish law both then and now. Hmm. Her mother was present at all times during the shoot, and Franco chose his shots carefully, never crossing the line from nudity to graphic sexual contact. Nevertheless, the attitude of law in English-speaking countries means that this and other Bignard films of the period are impossible to distribute in Great Britain or the USA. So that's why it's not on Blu-ray, folks, or DVD. Properly. Uh, the credit sequence of Eugenie is immediately stunning, featuring shots of weird sand sculptures on a sunny beach. These are not sandcastles, they are sculptures of the female form, lewdly positioned with legs spread to reveal vaginal lips, or else crouching with head to the ground as if for unimpeded rear entry. This sexual abandon is 
such a odd context is immediately unsettling, as is the post-credit sequence in which we meet Sultana Lena Romay, an apparent unhinged sex slave with a chain around her neck who cringes and yelps like a desperate puppy for her masters. Alberto and Alba Rosa, Antonio Mayans, and Mabel Escano. Later we hear that Sultana was brought by the De Rosas, that she was bought at a, by the De Rosas at a slave market in the heart of the Sahara. Alberto and Alba make the move on Eugene at a slow, languorous pace, allowing us to savor each revelation and development. The action is sparse, indolent, drowsy, yet far from boring. Everything simmers with a sick, noonday stillness, as if the sun itself is incubating an evil demon of perversity within the incestuous leads. The innocence of youth on the verge of knowledge, defiled by ravishment and deceit. This is the theme of the film, and it's through the eyes of the Sidian imagination that we watch Eugene's slow capitulation. A young woman so gentle, so kind and sweet, so spied upon at every turn, even her teddy bear peeking into view as she lounges nude on the sofa, seems to stare at her lavishly. As if reading the audience's dirty minds, Franco has Eugenie pick up the toy and slowly rub it against her crotch. Franco, who knows the psychology of voyeurism all too well, gives the stuffed toy an experience many in the audience would dearly have wished for themselves. I don't know about that. Uh, the drug-enhanced ravishment of Eugene is one of the most narcotic, otherworldly sex scenes that Franco has ever filmed. Uh, the director and his camera are hooked magnetically to the contours of an ever-circling lust. The photography is incredible. Lips, eyes, and nipples are shown in huge close-ups that turn flesh into landscapes of abstract desire. Remember the scenes in Blue Velvet where David Lynch's camera scrutinizes Isabella Rossellini? At his best, Franco approaches Lynch in the creation of worlds beyond time and space, and sometimes seems to have a door key to the mysteries of the Black Lodge. With each shot, adding to the intensely lethargic effect, we can only marvel at Franco once again summons his unique and special magic to the screen. We're swimming in a sea of images where time recedes like a distant tide, leaving us in pools of suspended consciousness. Yeah, I'm going to take a break there for a second. Yeah, uh... It's so interesting. The more I get into Franco, the more I see David Lynch, because I've been a huge Lynch fan since, like, uh, my teens, when, like, Blue Velvet came out in, like, 86, 87, whenever that was. And uh, I'd be, like, about 13 or so, and that's when I, when I got into David Lynch, and then went back and saw Eraserhead and all that stuff and everything as well forward. But, uh, yeah, the more I get into Franco, I definitely can see either a cosmic brother or an influence or something. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'd, it would be interesting to see what F David Lynch's take or comments on Franco is or if he's familiar with his work or what he claims. So, anyway, back to the text. Uh, let's see. Eugene's air of unreliable... Un... Un... Yeah. Eugene's air of unreality is further and dumbered by the character of Walter, a good-looking lad in his late teens who lives with the Dorosses. He tells Eugene, There are often people like me around, even if they're just imaginary. A line which 
puts one in mind of the unexplained watcher at the start of Nicholas Rogue's The Man Who Fell to Earth, 1976, who observes the arrival of the alien protagonist but never interacts with the story from there on. This motion of a character who lies between reality and abstraction, somehow observing through blind in the real world, suggests that Franco is seeking to position the story beyond the realm of realism. And nevertheless, again, Walter is real to the characters in the film. He is seen by them, spoken to by them, and cared about by Eugenie. He is therefore something of a loose end. His nomadic dialogue is not sufficiently supported by the manner of his depictions, so we must revert to the assumption that he's basically real. Even then, his place in the household is never fully explained. Although given that Alberto and Alba are dominated by the erotic imperative, one doubts that they've taken care of him simply out of charity. If he does have erotic currency in the De Rosa's lives, it's never shown. The youth enjoys a chaste and tender kiss with Eugene, but his role is otherwise passive, disengaged. While atrocities pile up, he plays his Spanish guitar, a lonely decorator of the household ambiance. Even when the De Rosa's drug and ravage Eugenie, he remains an onlooker, strumming away while the girl descends into a fog of sex and drugs. Yeah, they've they done that film, that deal before in the past Eugenie's. And cocktail special and everything else. Um, let's see. Doo -doo -doo -doo. Only when Alba whips the girl does he respond, and even then it's only to walk out saying he could take no more. He is casualty of Franco's habitual disdain for secondary male characters. Uh, Alberto Snarrows, I'll deal with you later, and when confronted by Eugenie afterwards, he claims to have killed the boy. That Franco neglects to fill in this character or show us his unhappy face is a side effect of his erotic tunnel vision a regrettable flaw in an otherwise marvelous construction. Uh, during a long pivotal scene, the virtuous flower of Eugenie's awakening sexuality is shown to possess perverse qualities. We see her suggestively removing a doll's panties, resting its face between her legs, and caressing her own nipples with the plastic hands. Is Eugenie fantasizing sexual abuse, or is she already the victim of abuse and acting out unconsciously? Her father betrays her to the De Rosa. Is that betrayal simply the latest indignity to a life of broken trust? Or is Eugenie spontaneously indulging forbidden sexual fantasies in nascent form? In Desaad, you'll remember, Eugenie becomes an enthusiastic libertine once initiated, cheerfully committing the most appalling acts of violence, mostly upon her mother. Such scenes have never made their way into any of Franco's adaptations, such as the depth and brutality of Saad's mother hatred. Here, she's appalled by Alberto's murders, but she's also oddly passive, never calling the police or running to fetch help. Calling the police is a choice, notably absent in Franco's erotic narratives. See, for instance, blah, blah, blah. Uh, his crime stories are a different manner, but the erotic films operate in a universe without the option of the law. Transgression of the law is a given. Personal freedom must flourish against the restrictions of taboo, and victims have nowhere to turn. Katja Biniart is completely otherworldly, encompassing childlike indifference and emerging sensuality in one extraordinary package. Franco was clearly impressed by her, casting her in another four films during the 1980s. Linda, 1981. El Lago de las Virgins, Lake of the Virgins, 1981. Uh, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, 1983. And Lily and the Perverted Virgin, 1983. 
It's just a shame that controversy, controversy prevents Eugenie history of perversion from being more widely available, as it's easy, easily the best of the films she made with Franco. The less said about 2002's Killer Barbies versus Dracula, the better. Also, oh, she goes into that too. All right. Uh, and this is another of Franco's loose adaptations of the Marquis de Sade. The question arises again of how closely Franco identifies with this immoral outlook of his protagonists. The evidence in this case points to a high degree of ambivalence. The film may seem a slave to the compulsive joy of voyeurism, but the dialogue puts some distance between the joys of the camera and the attitude of the central character. Character. Uh, this becomes clear ten minutes into the film, during the scene in which Alberta watches Eugene swim and shower on the roof of the Morella Roja. After we've seen Eugenie enjoying the water, oblivious to the watch for Alberta, we hear the voyeur's rumination and voiceover, and they ponder and they point to a particular strain of bad faith, typical of your ethically evasive sort of pervert. Uh, let's see, he says, I love her so much and I hate her at the same time because of her lack of decency, for the perversion that she has in her eyes, in her movements, for the conscious provocation of her whole being. Eugenie is in fact oblivious to Alberto. The provocation and perversion is all in his mind. That's where they all lie. This is partially resentment of her casual power to obsess him. Partially the forlorn fantasy that she's bewitching him deliberately. Alberto's assertion that he loves and hates Eugene is a twisted form of masochism, the sort that rejects itself fleeting into sadism to escape being overwhelmed by the contemptions of beauty. It's also a form of auto-absolution, the self excapulation of the rapist and molester, the same as suggesting that women who dress attractively are asking to be raped. By giving Alberto these lines, which express his philosophical nativity and ethical cowardice, Franco draws a sharp line between his own joyous rapture behind the camera and the confused nonsense which passes for libert libertinage in the mind of Alberto. All right, give me a second here. Quite a bit of text on this. All right, that sounds like a good film. I haven't... I'm going to watch it soon, but I haven't watched it yet. All right, cast and crew. Um, Katja Benart is a revelation. Projecting, see, they, they really praise this film a lot. Uh, projecting just the right air of nativity and awakening knowledge. Being aware of her tender years during the shoot and curious to find out how she felt about the film and the controversy surrounding it, uh, Stephen Thrower spoke to her in 2011. So about 10, about 11 years ago. She informed him that she was chaperoned throughout the production by her mother. Uh, she says, My mom, Evelyn Bainart, was in showbiz as an artist, actress, writing lyrics, being an agent. She did the very first photos of me, and I was recognized by two German photographers. Um, soon I got a lot of casting invitations. Also, my granny in her youth taught dance and acting. Blah, blah, blah. Uh... Benyart found Franco to be careful and considerate director. She says, as Jess always respected and accepted my being a teenager who goes to school, he mostly worked with me uh, at the time of the German summer holidays, which is July-August. It took a few weeks, six to eight, not like nowadays. She describes Lena Rome as smooth, voluptuous, and sexy as a cat. That's cool. 
I like that. Smooth, voluptuous, and sexy as a cat. And absolutely in love with Jess. A real muse. Beautiful. Uh, her brother was also involved working for the production of Mayans and Rabalo. She says Antonio Mayans is still in contact with me. I remember he has three beautiful daughters, all of them doing movies. I also remember his wife often showed up. He was a nice, he was a nice macho and had this flirting attitude. That's funny. Uh, Tony Skios was a kind of hermit. He didn't talk much, but he was perfectly chosen. Uh, regarding the darker currents of the film, their sources in the Marquis de Sade, Bignard recalls, at the time I read a lot of Jules Verne. A few years ago, I saw a very artistic movie about de Sade's life. He was a rebel fighting authority, somehow like a politician. It was done with puppets. That's uh, Henry Zonio's Marquis, 1989. I, uh, I once saw the Fira de Baus, a ridicule Spanish theater, group in Malaga at the Teatro Cervantes doing a play about the sod. I had to leave the theater. It's too cruel. She has fond memories of the extraordinary beach sculpture scene. As it was a public beach and people were already attracted to these marvelous sculptures done by a Spanish artist, the beach was crowded when I was running around in the nude. It was hard to break the delirious scenery, pretend to be mad, desperate, and in solitude. I hope it looked quite elegant." Both Benyard and Mother were very pleased with the results. We loved it. It's one of Jess's masterpieces. Last year, the Zinema in Berlin showed Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Unfortunately, they were too shy to show Eugenie. The reason for the shyness is the delicate nature of delicate matter of Katya's age when the film was made. Born on September 1st, 1966, she was not yet 14 when the film was shot in July and August of 1980. Obviously, this sets off alarm bells in the mind of the modern viewer, so we must tread carefully when taking full, while taking full account of variations in, natural, in national temperament. Spain's age of consent and the... Start over. Spain's age of consent is, and always has been, lower than Great Britain's. It's been 13, geez, since 1998, before which it was 12... As a German national, Binyard was brought up in a culture where the age of consent was 14. If you talk about this to most German and Spanish, they would find that British default position of moral outrage perplexing and absurd. As with all moral absolutes, right and wrong vary from the culture to culture, and there's no evidence to suggest that young people living in Spain show grow up any more debauched or traumatized than those in Great Britain. In cinematic terms, a comparable situation is the early career of Brooke Shields, who was 14 when she starred in Randall Kleiser's tropical coming-of-age hit, The Blue Lagoon, and just 12 when she appeared in Louis Millet's bordello-themed drama Pretty Baby in 1978. Uh, Eugenie, Historia de una Perversa, is more erotically charged than either of those films, but it's not a sex film, and certainly not a porno film. In the scenes involving Bignard, Franco used careful editing and camera work to construct the impression of ravagement. Notably, no one in the cast even gets between Bignard's legs. Whenever Alberto or Alba embrace Eugenie, Franco shoots from behind the seducer whose body is positioned to conceal Bignard's. Um, the legs of the seducer and the legs of the girl remain angled away from each other. In Germany, laws regarding the age of consent have nuances written into them regarding the use of exploitative manipulation to coerce teenagers into sex. If a young person under 18 registers a complaint, the law steps in. 
regardless of the age of consent. The issue of exploitation, not just numerical status, is the key. When Brooke Shields was asked whether she had ever felt exploited in her early roles, she replied, I didn't, because I was so young. I was too young for the casting couch, so it was never told. Uh, Sorry, so I was never told. You have to do this to get a role. The irony of a teenage actress being too young for the exploitation that occurs routinely with actresses over the age of consent is worth dwelling on. The irony of a teenage actress being too young for the exploitation that occurs routinely in the... Oh, I see. (laughs) That's funny. Because, yeah, it's always behind the scenes. Um, Finally, it's important to stress that there has never been a hint of impropriety with regard to Franco's personal treatment of Bignart, Bignart, or any other actress for that matter. In an interview with Andreas Bethman in 1999, Bignart declared that she had absolutely no regrets making the films with Franco and would happily star in sequels should they ever occur. Sure enough, Franco subsequently cast her in his 2002 opus, Killer Barbies vs. Dracula. When I asked her what she thought of Eugenie uh, being banned in the UK, she replied, that's the biggest advertising you could do for it. People will be more curious. On the masculine side of the story, Eugenie Historia de Una Perversion sees the debut of Antonio Riballo, a.k.a. Tony Skios, S-K-I-O-S, or... Tony Squeos, S-Q-U-I-O-S, a Saturnine presence in nine Franco films, the last being Bahia Blanca in 1984. He doesn't have a lot of range, but he delivers all that's asked of him in Franco's minimalist scenarios, chiefly an air of smoldering menace. He's excellent as the hard-as-nails crime boss brought low by the murder of a son in Bahia Blanca, but his most memorable role is of the misogynistic Spanish nobleman in the inconfessable orgies of Emmanuel, nineteen eighty-two, which claims to be the ultimate, or who claims to be the ultimate Latin lover, but instead proves to be an arrogant blowhard for whom hot sex takes less than a minute. In his role as light lighting cameraman, recent edition Juan Solar adds minimalist luster and elegance to the diaphamous plot and holds the effect of a shrinking budget at bay. His input is considerable, making him the most significant addition to Franco's talent pools after Antonio Mayans. Uh, see music. Bordello piano theme from 1975's Midnight Party is used again. The insistent signature tune from La Chicas de Copacabana returns too. And we're treated to a preview of the mournful acoustic guitar number that will play a much greater role in the following years, La Noche de los Sexos Separitos. Most mesmerizing of all is the music which plays during the drug-soaked ravishment scene. Franco himself concocted this piece, which tends a similarly mesmeric atmosphere in Macumba's Sexual 1980. Uh, locations. Yeah, Makuma Sexual 2, that's coming soon to Blu-ray, actually. By the time you hear this, it'll already be out on Blu-ray through Severn. Uh, locations. Returning to Calpe in southern Spain and the insanely beautiful postmodern apartment complex called La, Manzar- La-, La Manzanera, designed by Ricardo Bofil, Franco demonstrates his supremely canny eye for wonderfully, wonderful cash-on-screen visual re- resource. La Manzara comprises two apartment blocks. Xanadu, used as a key exterior location in 1970's She Killed in Ecstasy, alright, that's one of my favorite buildings, and 1973's Countess Perverse. 
and La Morella Roja, the Red Wall, which was the hub of activity in Franco's unreleased film, El Mysterio de la Castillo Roja, The Mystery of the Red Castle, um, and whose tumultuous stairwells can be seen in Countess Perverse. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. Um, Eugenie, Historia de una Perversion, marks the first time we can feast our eyes on the full exterior structure of La Mayoria Roja's pleasure later granted in La Noche de los Sexual Aberritos, 1981, and Sole Ante de Terra, 1983. Both fills extraordinary designs, flirt with the urban modernism, but then escalate plain geometry into mad cubist joy, a way that the artist Max Eicher would surely have loved. Painted an imposing slate of red on the outside and a selection of elegant pinks and blues for the rooftop pool area, the Morella Rojos Rojas 90 degree angles and wow, and crenellated outlines, he used such big words for no reason, are cool and yet somehow craze the perfect home for a pair of rich, moral perverts. Franco has always enjoyed and impeded access to the Manzanera complex of fact which had to be underlined for the inexperienced supervisor in 1980 when Franco returned there after a brief absence of six years. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, connections. Uh, let's see how much more we got on here. Jeez, Louise. Okay. Connections. Uh, elements from Marquita Saad's philosophy in the bedroom, or philosophies in boudoir, actually, boudoir, uh, had made their way into numerous Franco films before, and Eugenie Historia of Perversion combines elements from three of these earlier adaptations. Eugenie, the story of her journey into perversion, 1969, How to Seduce a Virgin, 1973, and Cocktail Special, 1978. From Eugenie, the jury the story of her journey into perversion, we get a woman's strategic seduction of a young girl's father with the added twist, ported over from Cocktail Special, that it's not just a common or garden lust that makes him surrender his daughter to the libertines, but the masochist subservient variety. From here, I'm sorry, from How to Seduce a Virgin comes the emphasis on the voyeuristic gaze and the DeRosas spend the first half of the film daydreaming, spying, and conspiring before making the move on Eugenie. The sexual penetration of Eugenie takes place off-screen and it's represented by two shots, a photo of a chrysanthemum, a flower symbolic of death in Spain where they're used exclusively for funeral decorations, and a swift pan across the painting Sleep by Salvador Dali. As the flower of innocence opens to the rapist, the cut to Dolly's picture brings the scene to a strange limp climax. Is the famous image a sleeping head, a, its staggering deflated balloon-like structure supported by crutches in the sand? Franco's representation of the way disappointment and innu, not to mention a limp penis, follows hot on the heels of libertinage. If not, then the significance is elusive. The empty vista in which Dolly's sleeper rests may echo the high summer stillness of Eugene, but for another it's difficult to say. The drug-fueled seduction of Eugenie involves a narcotic suspension of quotient time, but the film is not precisely a dream narrative. It's the story well-grounded in the real world, a manipulation, an 
exploitation. Apart from the solitary glimpse of a serialist painting, events are depicted without the use of oneric signifiers. The pan to the detailed the pan to the deflated far end of the sleeping head could be representative of decline and impotence, a frequent dolly preoccupation. But to what end? The defloration of the Virgin appears to have been successful after all. Franco is not without his fault. Okay, I'm going to skip over a lot of this. Um, gosh darn. Okay. Other versions. The most complete version of Eugenie uh, currently available is one released on video by the 1980s by the LA-based Caliente Video under the title Erotismo. Sadly, despite being released in the States, this was a non-subtitled version aimed sorely at the Spanish-speaking market. The on-screen title Erotismo is a video generated replacing the original Eugenie history version. Uh, title card. Uh, there are currently no versions available which retain the original screen title. Spanish official screens give a theatrical running time of 96 minutes. They uh, say it's 94 minutes, which suggests footage is missing. This is confirmed by careful scrutiny of the very different German cut, which initially includes several shots, definitely filmed by Franco during his original shoot, which do not appear in Rotismo. Uh, okay, there's a couple little scenes here they go over. And, uh, boom, 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 boom. Okay, so that's cool. Let's talk about the difference between the two versions. Just little shots like, uh, intercut from another film, and then, uh, whatever. I don't know. Sorry, it's kind of wilted down there at the end. Kind of perfect with that painting and how he was describing it, but. So, yeah, so that sounds really interesting. It sounds like a good mix of things, and, uh, looking forward to watching that. Um, so yeah, this is episode 97 again, film 97, Eugenie, and, uh, I will have a person on to review it with me, listen on through the break, and you'll hear who that is, so, uh, also too, there's a, uh, give plugs here before we go, uh, on to the review, uh, there's a donation button, if you care to, please hit it, either one time, multiple times, whatever, uh, starve an artist, believe it or not, so yeah, any money could help, so I do appreciate it if you got it. Uh, also, too, show is always free. You can download it. Please do. And please subscribe. Please subscribe to the podcast. More subscribers, the better, of course. And it'll always be there for you every Wednesday morning or so, depending on where you live. Uh, but my time, it's definitely every Wednesday morning, 1 a.m. West Coast time. So, uh, yeah, so it'll be there for you. Uh, tell a friend if you like the show, if you dig Franco, whatever, if you want to turn more people on to the weird world of Just Franco and of the Franco Observer podcast, please do. Uh, tell everybody about it. Word of mouth is always the best advertisement. If you like it, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with others. Uh, so, you know, best things in life are free, and so is the Franco Observer. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. we got a page, the Franco Observer podcast. Please add us there if you choose to. We always give pictures, updates. And uh, I'll always post pictures of my own self and uh, my own films and what I got going on and screen clips, screen grabs, and screening information and all that good stuff. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. we got a Facebook page, Franco Observer Podcast. Add that if you choose to as well. So, yeah. Cool. So, all right. Well, I'm going to hang up here and uh, check out Eugenia, the History into Perversion. And uh, I'll be along with a guest... Or maybe I won't. We'll see. And uh, listen on. So, buenas noches, maha. Maha.
right, we are back with episode 97, film 97, Eugene, Historia de Una Perversion, uh, her history of perversion. And, you know, I was thinking about histories of perversion, and I thought, who could I talk to? And I said, hey, Kali's <laughs> available. So I said, hey, let me talk to Kali. So welcome once again, Miss Kali. Well, cheers. Cheers, cheers. Great to be back. <laughs> glad to have you back and uh, this is a good film for us to talk about because uh this is another uh film about eugenie and maybe my favorite version of eugenie i think after watching this uh a lot of stuff i liked about this film uh what say you it's it's a gem yeah this is um this is one of the very first francos i ever saw i actually like mistakenly watched this one as the first like somebody had told me to watch Eugenia's you know and so I had found this one first and uh and I'd learned that you know there was the 1970 and the 73 and so um and but I did come back to this one and watch it again and so this is like I think my fourth something like that viewing like um uh I I love this movie this is like to me a very like I, I mean you know how like the first like um, wonderful movie that you see of a director that you fall in love with is right. like always going to have a special. So this is one of my like, you know, warm fuzzy Franco movies. Yeah, for me, it's uh, Virgin Among the Living Dead and Slaves. Like those are my two that maybe go, oh my god, I have to like, you know. And then I was I heard a lot of people who really like Virgin Among the Living Dead. I was like, yeah. that's um, Adrian says that's his favorite film. I, I know, and yeah, there's yeah, it's definitely. I mean, uh, mine is the zombie footage. I mean, I've watched that as extra, but if you take that out with just uh, just the actual version that's called Virgin Among the Living Dead, but without the zombie footage, that's what I should say. You know, but oh, it's just like all no reason to hate on zombie footage. <laughs> yeah, but it's done by Jean Jean Roland, and it was added after, just like any other version. You're like, ah, oh, it was good before. Why'd you fuck with it and add shit to it? You know, but that's yeah. not a film, so. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Roland collaborating, you know, you, you also yeah, exactly. Out. But they weren't it was like <laughs> after the fact, or it's like, oh, hey, by the way, you can work on this. It's like, sure, oh, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. I feel you. It's not like yeah. you're side by side, you know, hanging out. Why yeah. mess with Jess's perfection? But yeah, no, this is the first time I watched this, and because uh, you know I've been trying to watch everything in a row, and uh, yeah, this is very, very amazing film, and uh, there's so much to really talk about with this. Um, I was gonna gotta jump right in and kind of go through things that I saw kind of in order, and we can talk about it. And if you think of other things, you can of course jump in and all that good stuff. Um, it opens with these amazing sand sculptures. Um, and it's funny now that I talked to you that you've seen it four times. I'm like, okay, now we're going to watch this movie. Now, is this the right one? And you've already seen it like four times. So you're like, yeah, here it is. You know, I'm like, okay, never mind. <laughs> this time I'm bad for over asking, but I just wanted to make sure. Cause like, okay, now here's a movie that has multiple versions and we want to make sure. No, I didn't know. I, I mean, I've only yeah. just always had this version. I just got your message at seven 30 in the morning and I was like, I'm sleeping right now. Jason. Yeah. No. <laughs> But no, I was just like, okay, now before I watch this, before we go, let me just make sure that everything's fucking cool. You know? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it starts with these amazing sand sculptures. And, uh, and what I like about Franco and what I like about certain types of Franco films is that they come full circle. And this film basically comes full circle because the first thing you see is the sand sculptures and the last thing you see is the sand, sand sculptures. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, those are really amazing. And those are really cool piece of art to start the film with. 
Well, yeah, I mean, and to, you know, get right into our spoilers, um, uh, since the, those are, you know, dead bodies, um, or like, or like his, his vision of his, like, yeah, because yeah, sometimes you think the they're murders. really people until they break apart. Yeah. Right. But I mean, like, but that's like his, um, you know, his, his, his sculpt, his art of the, of the dead, of the muerte. And it, it, this is like a thing that you see all the time in Jess movies, you know, like, um, there was like, I always think of, I, Oh, it bugs me. I can't think of the name of that movie right now, but the one where um, I've, I've brought it up before too, and not be able to remember the name of the movie, even though I've seen the movie several times. Um, but it's the one where like the guy um, does all different kinds of art of his murders. Um, that's my favorite one where there's just, like, Oh yeah. Uh, the paintings, the sculptures, the, all the different like versions of, of it's like his, all of his art is about his murders and that's been done a few times in Jess movies. And yeah. so this is like one of my favorite themes of Jess is when the murderer thinks of it as art and even makes art inspired by his murders. That's just uniquely Jess. And I love that. That's a really cool thing that he does that's a really good point i actually didn't even think about that till you said that i i just, just thinking about him just being so crazy and just like doing his thing you know but yeah totally creating i mean it's not a checklist thing. thing but there's like three or four maybe five like i i mean i'm i know that there, it's something that i've i've noticed several times that it's like a thing that he's his his murderers often make art out of their murder and I, I out of, out of uh, their kills. And I well, just yeah. over that. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's messed up of course, but it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's just, it's really well, cool. Well, it starts with the uh, awful Dr. Orloff where he's basically killing people to take the skin for his daughter. So that's art. He's making uh, yeah. art daughters like restoring her beauty. And so that's kind of a yeah. thing and you take it from there instead of skin. Now I'm going to make, death and make the art out of death and it's, yeah it's the same concept but just filtered in a different way you know oh totally that's a really good point because that was like his you know what he about like stones, launched yeah. from yeah totally totally cool but uh, yeah yeah so that's that's really cool you see all the whole like uh thing and it's funny then you have that jaunty kind of piano and that was used in an earlier film i was trying to think which one it was but it was like uh yeah, all the music. Exactly. There's a lot of of music that you can hear. You you remember from? I think there's even Daniel White and stuff. Like you, you definitely yeah. recognize that. And um, the the one mansion is from the um, oh, the God. Countess Perverse. And like there's there's a lot of like reused stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. Favorite yeah. hits in, in here. <laughs> yeah, because this location, it's the two locations, the two buildings. The one was used in She Killed in Ecstasy, which is like one of my top five favorites. You yeah. Know? Why yeah. do they hide and shit? But yeah, so you see that building where uh, Soldad runs down the stairs, and it's that same deal. And then when they're walking by the pool, you see the two globes against the wall that you can see through by the swimming pool. And then she killed an ecstasy. There's that little cafe right there with those globes when she's sitting by those windows and stuff. And I'm like, oh, there's from this, there's from that. And, and then the red apartment building is uh, the one next door that you, you see it in another movie. I, I um, it's in the book. Yeah. Countess perverse. She killed an ecstasy. And uh, I think cries of pleasure. They use it later or maybe, or I don't know, but yeah, it's definitely used in a few films, both those buildings, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. It's very, very cool. Architecture. Yeah. Um, it's a great, the architecture in this is just divine. Plus what I like about this is he establishes things right away. Like you see the naked 
women sand sculptures on the beach. You have the music, and then it kind of pans, and then you see them uh, getting in this fucking white dune buggy, this couple. They're like the ultra cool, and they live in the cool red kind of castle off by themselves. And then they have their own pet dog, which is uh, Alina on a fucking chain. Which is awesome, you know. Lena has the doggy with the sound effects. The whole movie Lena has the dog. The sound effects are just—I mean, <laughs> uh, oh my god, just amazing! I yeah, I totally masturbated to the her several times watching this. Sorry, yes. just have to point that out because it's that like exciting and and um, she just looks so—I don't know. I mean, uh, she's such a good doggy. <laughs> yeah, she was um, assistant she's director in this. She was assistant director on this, and you can kind of see a few touches of where she helped out Jess, and that's why she's not on screen a lot. But but when she's on screen, she's of course really really amazing, and and doesn't really have as, as Candy Coster. Yeah, that's true. That's true. As, as Candy Coster, I forgot everybody has um, aliases on this one. Um, and then uh, we have uh, what I got here. Um, oh yeah, so uh, we have the woman that plays his sister. And I thought she was kind of like a Xerox to Lena. Like she has that kind of Lena look, the hair. And she was kind of real, like kind of had that. And you can tell Jess, when he doesn't have Lena, he has a, a taste of women that he'll cast as a Lena type, you know. For like sure. Yeah. I actually double took a few times. Wait, is that? No, it's not Lena. Like, yeah. It, yeah. yeah she has really nice tits and her hair and lips. And she mm-hmm. wears a cool golden dick uh, necklace, which I thought of you. I was like. You need to have that necklace. It's a cool <laughs> fucking, the gold dick around her neck that she keeps on her fucking chain. <laughs> God, I should do that. Actually, I, I took a class in precious metals clay. I could make one of those. There you go. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't that. I mean, it's pretty basic. It, it looked good. And then I was thinking of uh, you know people that rip off people or or inspiration or whatever. And then I thought of plastercaster. Uh, I thought of uh, Austin Powers gold member because she has the gold member around her neck hanging. You know. Nice uh, gold, uh, gold member yeah so um, yeah but yeah so that was that uh oh and then we have um so we go inside their apartment and last film we had done uh was it cannibals or uh um uh yeah or no no we, oh uh um it's funny so i saw I saw Werner Herzog this weekend do a lot of talking, which made me think a lot through watching this and thinking about Jess. And, um, but he kept talking about the fever dreams. It is like a fever dream. And I just kept thinking, like, this movie is such a fever dream. And yeah, there's a like lot when of you were just saying, which, which movie were we doing? I started thinking, it is all a fever dream, all of Jess's movies. <laughs> Well, it was, dream. Uh, <laughs> Cecilia, Cecilia that we did. And I mentioned that there was cage shots of the bed where you, where it's, uh, where he shoots through like the lattice, like of, and you see where it almost looks like a cage. Mm-hmm. And so in their apartment, you have um, the bird in the cage and it's like a fake little stuffed bird that she talks to. I don't think the bird even moves. I think it's like a toy bird or something that's <laughs> in the cage. And then you have, um, uh, what was it? You have, uh, oh yeah, and then you have the cage shots of, of the bed when she's leaning down into him and he's like over, over them in each of the cage shots. I forgot what I written down in shorthand, but um, uh, okay, so then um, it goes to Eugenie. Uh, now, this, this is a little bit troubling watching this film because you know how old the gal is, right? That plays Eugenie. Oh, she's, she's quite developed. 
I know. I was shocked at she's like 13 <laughs> or 14. And that's amazing for a 14 year old, 13 year old. Tits are nicer than mine. Yeah. I was, yeah. Yeah. I was like, Ever Dude. were. But the way he <laughs> shoots this is and because I read all about it before I watched it and all the different areas, how it's Spain, it's one age and Great Britain's another and Germany and America and how everything was, you know, and Brooke Shields and the pretty baby and all the, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe the maybe she wasn't that yet. I don't know because there, there is that one scene where they the woman talks to her and she's like feeling her tits and she's saying, "No, that was you a know, bit, yeah. like how old are you? Are you seventeen? The girl laughs and says, "No, you know, are you eighteen? Or she says, 18, Are you seventeen? She's like, "No, I'm 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 a woman," you know, and she's like laughing like that's silly that she would even be that young. So I, I don't know. I mean, but so she was. Yeah, really her mom was on before. set the whole time. I remember time, learning right? that, but I, I've always been like, really? Because I mean, I know what I looked like when I was thirteen, and I was tiny. I was very little. Like I have this picture of myself doing this like forced grin in a, a school class photo, and like I was, I mean, tiny. I know. So that that's why I was really shocking with this. It goes. I'm trying to read. So I have a hard this. time. Because um, even that she was thirteen in this. Let me see. I'll try to. Find definitely it doesn't look thirteen. I mean, yeah, I believe you if that's what you know, but it's that seems excessive. I don't know. Yeah, it says she was born on September first, nineteen sixty six. She was not yet fourteen when the film was shot in July and August. How? So that's why this film will never never be released on Blu-ray or or anything in America. And, uh, and it's, it's that gray area. Yeah, even though, I think I've heard that. Yeah. Even yeah, I remember that, kind of, that discussion on Letterboxd. I've always been like, really? Because I mean, you look at her, you wouldn't yeah. you would not think that she was there. Like, I didn't, I mean, I know we all developed differently, but I mean, her, even her face, like she doesn't have like the, you know, baby fat, like she doesn't, she just doesn't look that young. It's just really hard to buy that she was 13. I know. <laughs> and it says basically that her mom was on set and observed everything and she was cool with everything and everything was great. And, and if you watch That's it, how frankly- parenting right there. That's some parenting. Jesus well, Christ. Well, I guess the, the age in Spain is, <laughs> is 13 or 14 of consent. And it's, and they go through everything in the book with the laws and in, and in Germany. So, but in great Britain and America, it's 18. So that's why it's different. And you can't watch it and stuff and, and everything. So, yeah, but yeah. So if you watch it with that in mind, you see how he shot it and he shoots always from the person from behind over her and they don't show a lot of stuff. Although the stuff with the two women was a little bit close. I was a little bit surprised with that, you know, and it's not a body double either (laughs) looking at the boobs and everything, you know, but uh, yeah. Yeah. She's uh, definitely petting her. Yeah. So that was interesting on that. Uh, But yeah, you see see her coming out of the, coming out of the uh, pool for a shot and into the shower and he's watching her and, and, basically going through his rant about you know how she watching her even though he's blind no uh not the guitarist the uh brother oh was okay that was a different guy okay i got confused between those two guys apparently yeah one guy revealed he was blind i was like wait was that the guy that was like watching her and we're supposed to think he was not no remember in eugenie the original one he was a black guy that played a guitar and in this he's a blind guy that plays a guitar and it's always the same character and then in cocktail special it was the servant and then he left so it's always it's always that same character that he puts into that position no but like 
I guess I thought that that was like the murderer guy who no, was the, the acoustic guitarist was a different guy. Yeah. His name was uh, okay. Walter. They look very similar. They look very, very similar. Yeah, because so, he fights yeah, him I, at I, the I, end. When, when Walter leaves, he grabs him and goes, where are you going? And he goes, you're going to let a blind man, you know, you love her. And he, and he argues with him and stuff and, you know, all that stuff. But anyway, so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, so yeah, so this, so you see that. Uh, and we have. Sorry, the- I kind of watch this movie like a fever dream every time, even though I've seen it several times. It still is just sort of this like wash of images. You know, there's these like long, lulling sex scenes, and with all the camera doing all of its just magic, kind of flowing in and out. And I, I, I don't see it as this like I, the continuity of this makes no sense to me, to be honest. Like, I mean, he's got the murderers. I mean the murders, but you never see the murders. It's just sort of like he's just with these off women. camera, yeah. And then yeah, and then I mean, I mean, he, they show the Lena one, but that's like the only one, you know. That's like the, the others are just kind of like he just messes with chicks and then they just disappear. And but do you, you know, see the Lena one, or is it just something acted out? You don't know. I mean, you, you see her. I mean, let, I, I mean, we we could jump to that now. I mean, we're gonna go to it later, but I like that Lena dies a uh, uh, ass up. By the way. Um, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. And he has all the chains all right, doing her doggy right. style, and she's a dog. Yeah. But, but um, but no, it, that, was, it, that scene is so hot. But he puts the pillow on her, and then she, you know, acts like she dies. But it's not really a graphic scene. And then I guess she could die ass up like that. I don't know. Maybe she's playing dead, or maybe she really is dead. I mean, I mean he put a pillow over her and suffocated her while he fucked her, and then she died or whatever. And then he he, he did the whole sand sculpture thing of her like which is supposed to be like you know his but murder. you never see her body yeah yeah like i, I know was that's it the all thing just dream? did know? he murder them yeah that's yeah, that's I mean, the whole because yeah because at the end the, when she tears apart all the sand up. sculptures and there isn't anybody underneath them then you you know you wonder if it's just his mind because yeah. because as it's a all viewer, a fever dream because as a viewer, there were times that I thought that that was Lena and the other lady, and maybe it was laying there in sand because a couple of times they looked like real bodies, a few of them. And then when they destroyed, it, I was like, wow, there's no body there. So that was really, really, really well done. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't think there was a body underneath if they'd made the sand sculpture. I mean, that's, you know, that would be like pretty weird <laughs> to have a real body under the sand sculpture. No, I mean, but I thought Lena would lay there. <laughs> And they'd shoot her as like a sand sculpture for a few minutes or whatever. And then you have that for film and then get up and then, you know. Oh, no, you can make great sand sculptures. Yeah, but you have to be laid there. I mean, because a couple of them looked really real with the legs. And I thought, oh, that's a real person (laughs) laying there with sand kind of pushed around them and smooth and, you know. You're making me remember growing up on the coast of California and going to the sand sculpture. They'd have like big uh, contests and there was like an annual one we'd go to a few up and down the coast. There's different ones and people can make amazing stuff out of sand. Oh yeah. yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> no, they, go, they go hard on the sand. Yeah, about, you <laughs> I know, mean, they're, they're, they're nice sculptures, but they're not, you know, that like real. I mean, they're nice. But they're not that realistic. They're pretty though. It's pretty art. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely almost a lost art. It's, I mean, I'm sure it's still out there, but it's uh, definitely a subculture that, uh, is all, something onto itself, definitely, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, we have uh, the brother and sister basically uh, plot their plan, and he tells her how much he wants to have Eugenie. So that's like a mix of Eugenie and uh, how to seduce a virgin. The film with the uh, sister getting out of the institution. So they mixed a few of those films together, yeah. which was kind kind of cool, you know. 
And of course that was a good chime on time when I said that. It's like ding. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was uh yeah, so it's like his sister gets out of the institution. And at first I thought it was his wife, and then I realized what it was. And since being it's a, a Dassault that they're brother and sister, and they have the relationship where, you know, they have a sex all the time and they have their own sex slave, Lena. Yeah, yeah, the brother sister stuff. They mark always oh, like market. my brotherly love, they say at one point. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and 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 they get it on. And then of course they borrow too from cocktail special where she has the whip and she's seducing the Emmanuel's dad, or, or I mean, um, Eugenie's dad, but that's later on. But I keep jam- jumping around. Yeah, this well, this is a really hard one not to jump around with because, like I said, it's it's really like a fever dream. It's like it just is this flowing like nar- I don't know a narrative. It's just like it all just seems like a dream, and I mean that's kind of the point, you know. And yeah, because there was one film I think a couple months back you had said like, oh, this is the ultimate Franco film, and almost to me, this is the ultimate Franco film because it's like there's <laughs> so much shit in here. It's like, oh, there's the house from this, there's this, there's that. This is the story. Oh, this is that part. This is this part. This is the story from this, and oh, this is from Eugenie. This is from Cocktail Special. This is from How to Seduce a Virgin. This is from the house. You know, it's like, fuck, dude. It's like Franco fucking overload watching this. You know? Yeah. I, 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 I'm sorry to keep bringing up uh, Herzog, but I, I have to just say that like there, he kept getting asked at all the different Q and A's I saw this weekend. People kept saying, you know, like, what um, are you uh, like, you know, what does this, what does this mean? What is your philosophical take and what is the meaning behind? What are you going for? And, and he would just go like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a storyteller. I don't want to think about that stuff. I just, I don't like to look back. I don't want to think about the past. I just want to go on working on the next projects. Right. And I, I did kept, keep thinking this is the, uh, that kind of like Jess, you know, like, I mean, it, it just like, he just kept working and kept making more and more. And I don't think that there was so much like, you know, I don't know if he was trying to make, you know, like, it's funny that we even do this podcast, like trying to figure out what Franco is doing. I don't think Franco knew what he was. He was just like telling a story because he's a storyteller. And like, as Werner was talking, I did keep thinking about this is how Jess thinks. I bet like this, you know, he just wanted to create and tell the story and he had these certain things he knew he was good at. And so he just kept working those until he had mastered those. And you're saying, you know, like, you're, we, you know, we, we, as we watch all these movies, we see all of his themes and and how he, you know, he he blended them all. And it's so nice when you there's a movie like this and they all come together and it's like it all is just you know him working all of his magic and almost oh, definitely, yeah. Because there's a lot of really great artful sequences in here and and there's a couple sequences that we're gonna get to later, especially the drug sequence that I really want to talk to you about. That I was like, I don't know. The more uh, anyway, I'll, I'll get to that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so uh, we have them basically watching the brother and sister watching her sunbathe, and it's funny. They're so um, I'm trying to the right word. They're so vulturous, you know. They're like watching her <laughs> with the fucking binoculars, and they're just following her everywhere. Thirsty sunbathe, yeah. Just, <laughs> almost like fucking just you know hunters, and they're just hunting her down, you know, and just all over. And she's just walking around and doing her thing. And, visiting and stuff and there's a great Aisha shot where he's walking down the staircase in that fucking thing and he's looking at her and he shoots it down it's like that uh, mc escher picture of all the oh yeah that's i thought of escher as soon as i know exactly the shot yeah 
Yeah, no, it's really, really amazing. You can't not think of Esther when you see that. Yeah. You got to wonder which came first. Well, yeah, I mean, the painting, of course, but yeah. Um, but no, yeah, because there's a lot of paintings in this as well, and there's some more definitely later on. Um, so uh, there's really a lot of erotic scenes, like and a lot of cool Desaad stuff where he's watching her sunbathe and his sister starts licking his fly of his pants and starts kissing him, and, and then he, like, slaps her. I was impressed with the um, with how she she used her teeth to get the zipper down. That was yeah, good. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, I was like, that, ooh, goals. <laughs> but guys never wear zippers. <laughs> yeah, that was a very erotic scene, you know, especially with just how you know. I mean, he's basically watching an underage girl and his sister's giving him a blow job. I'm like Jesus, it's like wow, you know, pretty. pretty yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then he slaps her and. Yeah. yeah, and then he kisses her after. Randomly, just decides to be violent to a woman who's sucking his dick. Like, yeah. okay, but it's a sister, so he could slap her because it's like a family thing, you know. Yeah, can't keep it in your pants. Keep it in the family. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but I mean, I shouldn't say that. Guys love slapping you when you're. Anyways, so there's a scene which is really funny where Eugenie is in her room and she's sitting with her little stuffed bear i think it was first or her doll at first her dolly and, yeah she and she's listening to uh, to <laughs> her uh, little Lena. baby doll and the song she's listening to is lena's song uh, keep cool from uh yeah. two female spies with flowered panties where she yeah. goes uh keep cool do, 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 yeah do, keep cool you know that song um and the lyrics to that song are just amazing and it's such a great shot too because the window keeps opening and closing and it's like very voyeuristic and it's almost like Franco pushing the actual window as he's shooting it. But see, that was the thing with Lena. There's a couple shots in here where it's almost a two-person shot where like that one where he's shooting it and another person's pushing the window open and closed in time. There's a scene later on when the brother or sister are having sex and there's like this white cloth that keeps going in front of the camera and there's a couple cool layered shots, stuff that I like to use myself that I was like, okay, cool. And this, that's one of the other reasons why I like this film a lot because it, it really spoke to me creatively with a lot of his sequences and things because things I like to use and things that I'm inspired by and, and things as well that I really, really dug a lot. So I nice. just like that. Um, yeah. Uh, there was a, uh, it's she, a gorgeous she, film. Oh God, it's so good. Uh, there's uh, the, she, she killed the ecstasy location we talked about. Um, and uh, there was a cool sequence where they're going to seduce the woman's parents or uh, um, Eugenie's parents. And they go down to this kind of beach area where they walk down and they pretend like they're running into each other. And, and uh, the sister starts seducing uh, Eugenie's dad. And she's like laying there naked, taking off her top and opening her legs, taking off her bikini and just truly, totally working them. I, I think we should just be naked all the time. I'm sorry. I, I can't. I don't want this clothing on my skin. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very it's casual. Just, yeah, it's, just, it's so hot on my skin. I oh, don't this, like this. this annoying clothing on my skin. I just I think we should always be naked. Right. That's totally written by Franco. You can tell. It's totally funny. Yeah. I mean, uh, I 100% agree, but yeah. <laughs> not very subtle. <laughs> and it cuts with that, with Eugenie masturbating with the doll. That's implied because it's you know he doesn't he's not graphic because of her age and everything but it's cool because franco shoots the teddy bear looking and the other doll woman kind of watching with this mischievous look and he keeps cutting back and forth between that 
the things with her, which is a really, really cool sequence. Yeah. Yeah. The little baby doll that she's, I mean, it's, it's like a little newborn baby. One of those dolls. Like, yeah, she's kind of like she's got that thing her. in her crotch and she's rubbing it on her crotch and she's like, Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. And since we're talking about that now, uh, if it was a Cupid doll, then it would be a masturbating with a C item. It'd be a Cupid doll, but it's, it's, uh, doll, it's just a little doll. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, just a, just a little 13 year old girl playing with her dolls. That's all. <laughs> oh, yikes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, but anyway, so it comes to that. And then there's more sequences where the brother and sister are watching her and they're standing in these old runes like area. And it's so beautiful. It's like these, it's like an archway that you see of them with the binoculars watching. And that was a really, really, really cool area, I thought. Um, uh, oh, yeah. And then, of course, her gold penis necklace with the binoculars, which I had, of course, mentioned. Cool. And, uh, and then the sister finally fucks and or seduces and fucks uh, Eugene's dad. And he basically is uh, impotent and uh, can't really live up to her. Oh, yeah, we got 10 minutes. So uh, she calls him her little boy. She goes, oh, my little boy, uh, what's the matter? You can't measure up. And she, like, climbs on top of him and inserts him into her and, like, you know, fucks him, basically. He just kind of lays there all fucking scared. And he, he asks for another chance, and she says, I never want to see you again. I and then, Yeah, but it's, like, then, like, does he kill her? You know? <laughs> like, yeah. She gets like, right oh, as sure, crazy. I, like, I never want to see you again. Almost like you're worthless little fucking, you know, and she's just. And she just worked it. And I was like, that's so good. And the way Franco shoots that too, so close up with their face. I kind of did that to a guy this weekend, actually. That's <laughs> no, I Bert did. Herzog? Was no, it Herzog? Did, like one of, one of my fuck boys came by and like, he had like, you know, made me wait. Cause he, well, he's from, he lives in Venice. And so it's like a whole thing, like to, for me to like agree to hook up with him. Cause then I have to like, wait, and I'm not very patient. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, I did that. And then he came over and he came like, when I was just giving him a blowjob instead of like, you know, fucking me as he should. Right. And so as soon as he did that, like as soon as he came, I said, Oh, well, okay. I'm blocking your number. And I just like casually like got up and blocked his number. <laughs> and he was like, but it wasn't my fault. And I'm like, well, but you know, like I, like I'm, I'm not, here just to give away blowjobs like if you come over to have sex with me you have to have sex with me right so you know i mean that's you know those are the rules like those are the fuckboy rules so you know i just said like you know it was, it's been fun playing with you but you're done bye i'll right. never see you again right, right, and he right, was right. just so mad like pouting and slammed the door but that's it's funny that that, that just happened and <laughs> yeah so you were like that's funny Sorry, because well, that's I mean that happens in like the world, you know. Like women get do get frustrated with men who you know like uh, have all this prowess, and you know then they peter out. Literally, literally, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we cut from that. Glad you caught that. <laughs> to, uh, the sister basically wearing the cool silver dress, and Lena's kind of uh, sequin kind of uh, headdress deal. Like her shawl on her head, whatever. Oh. And that was a scene with the white uh, chiffon over the lens that kept going back and forth. And I like that scene into the next scene as it transitions to a sailboat. Franco puts a sailboat out of nowhere, like right in the middle of those two sex scenes of the brother and sister where her wearing the silver deal. They're having sex, the chiffon, then it goes to the chiffon, then it cuts to a sailboat, then it cuts to the sister with the Eugenie's dad again with the whip that sequence where she's uh and that's another cage shot 
he shoots through her black uh, macrame kind of uh, shawl dress she's wearing. And it looks like cage over his face. And she says, you know, give Eugenie to my brother. And, you know, he goes, no, she's just a kid and you'll corrupt her and all that. And he's caged by her. She's like in control of him. So yeah, yeah. it's another cage shot, which I caught, which is pretty cool in the film. Yeah. You're also making me think about like, actually, there isn't that much great fashion in this. Like, uh, that's usually something that you see a lot of, like, you know, really good fashion. That's one thing because they're naked the whole time. No, but I mean, Lena's got that cool, (laughs) which I didn't mention, but Lena's got the cool, like leopard leotard with one tit hanging out and the cool, like blonde wig in the beginning on the fucking. I mean, her doggy outfit is amazing. Yeah. And oh then God, she wears her, that cool the wig, the the chain. Yeah, yeah. She, and then the other lady has that silver deal on like with the best that. Part of the and the gold dick necklace. I mean, there, there's a lot of cool yeah. fashion in this film, actually. Yeah, there, there's there's like notes of it, but I can't think of like any just like oh my god that that costume. Like I don't know, right, you know, so like that. like so, certain times there was this you know certain films of his. You're just like one dress after the next of just joy. Well, so. but here's another thing too, and this is one of the. And I think it's all well. It's also in Bloody Moon where they do the Donald Duck mask, but she also wears the uh, a Minnie Mouse shirt, um, Eugenie, which I love in this, which is awesome, you know. Oh, yeah, he has her in the the, uh, the biggest mouse. copyright to to infringe on. <laughs> I, that's why I love Frank. He's like, fuck it, I'll put a thirteen year old girl in on Minnie Mouse, my fucking thing. Look <laughs> 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 <Like> a rebel. <laughs> Oh, to Franco. That's good stuff. (laughs) That's funny. Um, So then uh, let's see how much time we got. Okay, cool. So um, then we have. um, uh, uh, Oh, yeah. So they they all all get together. I mean, I'm kind of jumping through some things, but they are kind of going in kind of order. I'm not hitting every high spot of the film, but. um, But uh, we have the two sisters. uh, Okay. And I thought that was kind of a, a Russ Meyer shot, by the way, with her with the whip where he kind of shoots her low angle looking up where she's kind of like over him and, and kind of dominating him. That's almost a, like lot a, of, Meyer, a lot of whip shot. action. Yeah, 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 totally. Plus the yeah. female dominant shot of her rising over him and him looking up and shooting at real low angle and her walking into frame, you know. Yeah, yeah, this is true. So it's cool. Before I, wonder, we- I, I wonder if Jess ever watched Russ. Yeah, you know, because that's like one shot where I can kind of see. And then uh, before we go to the uh, to the break in between, one thing I'm going to talk to you is about people using is watching this film and the sequence coming up. The more Franco films I watch, the more David Lynch stuff I see. Hmm. This film to me is so David Lynchy, and in certain parts, that's another reason why I think I really, really liked it a lot. Hmm. that's but. funny because all i've been thinking is, is her talk and because he, he was also just talking a lot about time and how you know time is meaning time time is a, it's meaningless you know it is it has no meaning there is no such thing as time it is all an illusion you know i can't talk again very well right. but i try but anyways i mean that that like you know that's how this movie is a lot too it just kind of wafts between like moments you don't really know how much time has passed between anything it's just kind of all collectively happening as, as like a dream and i love yeah. that when you get that sense of of lost time because they because they establish it because the parents say which i kind of jumped over is that we're going to go out of town for a few days so they establish kind of how long this takes place but you're right they don't show daytime hmm. or nighttime it just all kind of flows together which is kind of the the span of kind of a a a lost weekend or kind of just a giant orgy for a few days where they go off there's another scene where they get on the boat and they leave away from society and they go to their own side of the island or their own you know area where they live at um away from her and uh um 
I liked the scene where they all go swimming and Lena was uh, swimming in that wig, which I thought was pretty amazing. And, and, and that wig didn't come off either when she jumped in the water. No. Yeah. That's Lena. Yeah. <laughs> she's got some Bobby pins going on. She knows what she's doing. And uh, yeah. And I, and I like that. I don't, I don't know if she was a uh, dog paddling, but, uh, but she was definitely making dog sounds. And I liked her dedication to the dog because she does Seriously. dog stuff all the way through. She like whimpers for sex. She like begs. She does all this dog stuff. And it's like a little subtle stuff. Comida, like, wow. comida. When she's begging for food, comida, you know, and she keeps like, like yeah. <laughs> comida, like, comida. Whimper, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It's, it's really good. Um, and then uh, I liked, uh, so we had, so I was laughing. So we had Lena on a chain and then we had Lena off the chain. So I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> Lena's off the chain, you know? And- I was, I was actually trying not to say that when I was first talking about her outfit, I kept, I kept almost saying off the chain. I was like, that's too, I can't, <laughs> but you went there. Yeah, exactly. I totally <laughs> um, and uh, so they take a uh, shameless Franco fans, Eugenie home. And uh, there's a really nice mirror shot with uh, Eugenie and the sister. Uh, which I liked where she walks in and she's like um, undressing her for the first time. And she's playing with her boobs. And there's like all these mirrors all around her again. And you kind of see everything. And she's all kind of like timid about it and everything. Um, and uh, so we have that. And then we have yeah, I got to love the mirrors. Got to, got to have the mirrors in there. Yeah. 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 And then so we real. have the, the, uh, the drugger and basically the uh, seduction scene where they're, where they're drinking and, uh, I had mentioned uh, last. We'll wrap up before the second half on this part. Um, how they mentioned this is like the cool scene that I really like a lot. There's like the uh, a magic wind again, like we had talked about the last one, Cecilia, like where she's on the horse in the wind, and here like the wind comes in again. He does the wind sounds. He has uh, um, uh, the guitar playing close up of Windows the bush. character. The close of all these eyes, the upside down lips. The upside down lips remind me of David Lynch. The like lipstick with the upside down mouths and the close of the mouths and just the eyes. And this sequence, especially, uh-huh. I was like, wow, this just felt very like the close up of the guitar arm and then the clouds and just these sequences almost like you're like going through a land and it's very creating otherworldly effect. It's very, very cool. Agreed. Yeah, yeah it's very, <laughs> very amazing. And uh, it's cool at the end with the uh, two paintings, the uh, kind of the flower wilting at the end where he's like finally entering her and he's like limp at the end. And then they show a <laughs> Van Gogh painting of the sad people real fast. And then you see her crying. Oh, like, fragility. Yeah. And then it's like her losing her innocence and she lost her innocence to the rape and she's like crying and it's like the innocence lost. And, uh. So basically, after all that, Eugenie wakes up in bed. There's another cool mirror shots all around her where we see her. And she wears her mini mouse shirt. Um, let's see what else do I have on this. Um, bloody another full moon. Oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so she wears her mini mouse shirt. And um, you see the uh, – he talks to her about uh, – oh, those are the bo- – or anyway, she wanders down into the beach area. And she says, oh, yeah, these are the bodies of the women that I murdered. And he kind of <laughs> yeah. laughs about it. And the sister says, oh, don't listen to him. He's just being silly or he's just being whatever, blah, 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 you know. And uh, so that automatically starts showing all him off in an odd, odd manner, of course. Well, he's odd before, but um, so uh, they have that. And they have the blind guitarist we talked about. 
And then I like the uh, hookah scene with all four of them. The second time they all kind of get together. So basically it's just, I like to have followed the other Eugenie films and cocktail special where it's just one long session. They just kind of wake up, get high, fuck, go to sleep, wake up, get high, fuck. And it's just, it just goes that way all the way through the fucking film, you know? And they all smoke like, a big, exactly. It's like a great, <laughs> um, and, uh, what I like too is during that scene. So then they, she gets high again. And then, uh, but, but, but before that I, I left out, uh, you see him whip Lena off screen earlier where she's begging for food. And he says, well, I'll take care of her. And then you hear him kind of off screen whip her and she begs about it. So this time when Eugenie's unconscious or drugged, yeah. or whatever, uh, Lena whips her and the other people start whipping her and she's laying there enjoying it. And, uh, <laughs> The guitarist leaves. Yeah, that and that's when weird. the brother confronts him and says, Oh, what are you in love with her? Or, you know, what's the matter, blind boy? Are you going to try to ruin this? And that sequence to me is really amazing because Franco shoots it through like this glass. And the brother, when he comes back, he almost turns transparent. There's scenes where he's walking in and he almost turns like you can see through him. And I was like, It's very cool. He's like, Like a mirage. Through him, he's transparent. You know, it's like, Oh, that's cool. You know. And just it's so visually amazing. You know, this the really simple techniques that he's using that looks so good. He shoots a lot of this with mirrors and reflections and through glass and off glass. And there's there's a lot of cool shots like that in here that are what's his real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It creates a whole other world, you know, with really cool looks. Um uh oh yeah, so then we have and then I like too the scene where the sister after one of the times of sex, you see her like looking at all the mirrors, and all of a sudden she just kind of like freaks out for a second. And she kind of like comes back to and fixes her face. And then she goes and does it about her business. And I was like, oh, that's a nice little breakdown that she controls. And then later on, she freaks out after sex and she's all like screaming and like, hold her down, hold her down. And then he uh, tells her that, yeah, the doctor said that if you have such fright, you'll, you'll, you'll die. You know, too much emotion will, will cause you morete, 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 he was telling her. Right, because the movie starts out with with her just getting out of the hospital, and what did the yeah. doctor say? And oh, you're supposed to take it easy. And she's like, "No, but I want passion. You still want me, right?" And you know, so yeah, like she's she wants to live, but she's being told that if she lives too much, then she will die. Yeah, and they have that scene like that in *How to Seduce a Virgin*, where you think his wife's dead on the table, and she's really not dead. So that's why in this, I mean, she quote unquote dies, but you never see her dead. She's kind of like whimpering real quietly and on the bed. And then he kind of cuts away from her. And then he sees it with, um, uh, cause it's also too, it's weird because like, I always think of the film Goodfellas where the whole film is told from, from Henry's point of view. So it's unreliable. So it's an unreliable narrator. And in this it's Emmanuel mm-hmm. and she's drugged and it's from her experience. so you don't know what's real or what's not real or if people Eugenie. are dead. I'm sorry, uh, Eugenia, keep saying Emmanuel. It's basically yeah. You're wearing an Emmanuel shirt. Yeah, I know. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I keep having Lolita, Emmanuel, and uh, Eugenie running through my head. I'm trying to like, pick the right name each time I say it. Um, sure. But, uh, yeah, so it's like uh, that Eugenie. whole thing. Eugenie. Of, uh, Eugenie about her being the reliable narrator, because that's why, like, at the end where you think it's the dead bodies, then, oh, no, maybe it's not really yeah, what's going on. calling him a murderer. She's yelling at him that he's a murderer, but is he? And then she yeah. tears apart the sand, and there's no bodies. Yeah, because I think in the original one, the police take her away, and then she's charged for the murders and stuff, you know. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, so it's funny. So then uh, 
so we have uh which i felt sad uh after the sister freaks out uh lena um um whimpers for sex i thought it was so sad that lena had to whimper for sex i was just watching that i, I kind of felt bad i was like oh poor lena she shouldn't have to whimper for it you know so <laughs> and then i liked that they did it uh, a doggy style as he's holding the chain it was like turning all the way through you know as awful as I am when I was listening to the moans and I knew that like, she was begging him to have sex, um, then that's when I got my vibrator out. And so like it, it he, and he keeps it like shadowed for a while. So I was like, really like just hoping that like something good was going to happen. And I was like <laughs> trying to like be into it, you know? And like, and then when like it finally cut to like her with a chain around her neck and him like coming on her from behind, I was just like, yes, totally came really. It was it was great. I was like, yes, Franco, <laughs> For sure. you know, like, bring it home, baby. Yeah, you're right. It's good stuff. I mean, that's as good as it gets. Lena acting like a dog, getting doggy style. That was just, you know, magic. magic then, of course, I have a sad face. And then he kills her with the pillow. I was like, oh, you don't need to do that. And then, of course, I have that Lena. Hey, died. that was really fun to orgasm, too. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I mean, a little snuff now and then, you know, keeps Hell it yeah. spicy. <laughs> I like that Lena died ass up and spread. I had written down. So, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, um, that pose is quite nice. Yeah. It's like a perfect way for her to die, you know? So yeah. God could kiss her Definitely ass. Definitely a favorite. Um, so, yeah. And then he basically, we don't know if he buries Lena's sister or Lena and his sister's body in the sand. He says he does, but we're not sure um, because, you know, we find later. Um, and I like that he shoots through the glass to have that same effect all through the house. And then you, Eugenie kills him with her bloody Mickey Mouse or her bloody Minnie Mouse shirt. And so, so she decides just to take it off and she's completely nude under the Minnie Mouse bloody shirt, which is pretty funny. And she walks to the sand dunes. And uh, as we talk about, she tears apart the sand dunes. All, I mean, all the sand sculptures. And uh, then it just Thanks. ends and it goes to Finn. Finn. Yes. So speaking of Finn, I'm going to knock through the list real quick. Uh, so, yeah, we have, of course, body of water check. We have sailboat and motorboats because they go on the boat uh, sunbathing to the island. Uh, number four, palm trees. I didn't really check out. I didn't see any palm trees. I saw, like, trees when they were driving through the city, but I didn't catch any palms, per se. I don't know. Uh, I didn't see any. Uh, five, jungle sound effects. We have other sound effects, not jungle, per se, but we got Lena as the dog. <laughs> All the wind, all the cool echoes and all the fucking cool. Franco, this is a period where he's doing a lot of cool sound effects which i really dig a lot mm-hmm. um of course uh, number six chained up person we have lena on the chain of course you know she's the chained up person um, <laughs> yeah that was cute uh seven and eight no uh dance scenes on stage stripping or club scenes dancing nothing like that uh number nine jazz music there's a really nice jazz there's actually a uh a, I, men- I forgot to mention there was like a, a cool saxophone uh, during the couple scene outside where he's trying to seduce the, uh, where she's trying to seduce his dad. There's like a cool saxophone jazz song that plays during that sequence. Um, number 10, excessive zooms, eh, a little bit, not too bad. 11 out of focus, a little bit, not too bad. Uh, 12 mirror shots. Yes, of course. Um, 13 mind control theme. What do you think? Mind control. Mm. 
I mean, was Lena mind control to think she was a dog? Was <laughs> sister mind control from the she brother? She wouldn't have it any other way. They I said. mean, the brother was kind of running the whole game. But then Why they do were- you keep her like a dog? She wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, exactly. I bought her in, in a market in the Sahara or somewhere, you said. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I bought her as a slave. Um, no, I, I mean, not any direct mind control, but, you know, like it, there's definitely some messing with minds for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely mind stuff technique. Uh, I mean, the whole, you know, the whole I just came from a doctor who says I have to be, you know, that that's always just that general premise of, of, you know, are women, you know, mental or are they? That's, you know, a strong theme in in all these is are women crazy or not? Right. Or is it just society's constraints? Don't let her be too emotional. Uh, Number where we at number 14, my uh, magic tongue scenes. I didn't really catch any Alina's magic tongue in this. I think it was pretty. Yeah, I know. I didn't really, even though she was a dog, she could have stuck her tongue out, but she didn't. That's one thing I I, I didn't catch. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, That's funny. Uh, Number 15, red light. I didn't catch any. Uh, 16, sheepskin rug. Yeah, there's actually a sheepskin rug in their house, in the couple's house, right in front of the fireplace when she, when Eugene walks out. Yeah, Yeah, I totally caught my sheepskin rug and I took a picture too. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Masturbation with the sea item, just with the dolly is the only thing. Um, 17 mad scientist and servant no although the brother and sister could be a mad scientist and servant but you know but it's fine but there's a couple um 18 fish tank shot no 19 talking parrot no it's bird in cage but no talking parrot uh 20 in credits yes or no yes it says finn uh 21 handwritten notes i didn't catch any no uh 22 spiral staircase no inept cops 23 no billy chains 24 no kinks no uh, I know a lot of the no's, uh, but we do have number 28, acoustic guitar player, of course. Yes. And finally, fear or desire. I'd say desire. Yeah. It's all about desire. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was I was thinking that with the whole, like, I'm going to say it one more time, Herzog and talking, he was saying that with the whole, you know, this weekend I watched, I think, six of his films, seven of his films. Um, and it, they're doing a whole retrospective and that's basically what we're doing, you know, is a retrospective of, of right. Franco. And they were asking him, you know, what is this um, worldview that you are trying to get across? And he was, he was kind of saying, you know, you just see it. You just know what it is when you watch enough of my films, you see this worldview come to, I'm not sure what it's even saying, but, and so as I was watching this, I was thinking about Jess's worldview and, and how it does get across after watching so many films of his. And basically though, desire is the heart of it, how you always at the end say fear, desire. And I mean, yeah, like, but he's, he, and that's the thing is, I mean, that's Herzog is always saying is trying to get into the soul of man. You know, I'm trying to, right. to see what, Why? you know, the ecstatic truth all that and that's i think that to jess the ecstatic truth is is more animalistic more primal more like you know like like more sexual it's interesting that you know herzog isn't terribly sexual but i mean jess is just you know that to him that's his worldview is that we are all just animals and that's always been a worldview of mine so i i maybe that's why we love him i don't know but you know we're all just we're all just animals pretending we're not and i think jess sees that so clearly and i i love that i think that's kind of but i mean he also sees that we have these like incredibly you know fierce desires i mean we are the only i mean you know the animals kill each other because they want to eat or they're territorial but they don't like murder each other over love so often i mean i suppose it does happen in like with monkeys and apes and things but i mean the 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 depths of like our our emotions are so much you know we really you know when we love you know there's this like 
frightening what line between love and hate they're always kind of doing into so the fear and the desire that you are you know you're kind of always wondering is it this or is it that which one sometimes we don't know and that's when it's really exciting you know <laughs> so you're always jumping ahead to what i was going to ask you on episode 100 that's why i'm like stop talking you're talking about episode 100 but i'll take some of that out of there but yeah that's why you go off script so. All righty. Well, uh, in retrospect, or in that's in why when you asked me which one we wanted to do first, I actually said, I, I, "Let's do this fresh." Yeah. And then I was like, "Oh, but you know, I've been feeling know. so philosophical." About it. so you start maybe, going off track and talking about non-Franklin. Like, oh, yeah. So, uh, okay. So, sorry, it was a weekend. You know. So, in closing, what, what's your what's your uh, wrap up on this film? I mean, I think I just gave it, but yeah. um, uh, to. Uh, it just it, it, it is a fever dream it is a fever dream yeah in her it's, a, it's the best of Jess Franco <laughs> if you really like Jess Franco watch this film although it's gonna be really hard to find and see so but it it's out there on, on the internet so you know but you'll several sure will never put it out so yeah they, they, I don't think they, they will because of the age issues yeah, so, so I think that that yeah I remember that's been brought up numerous times I think on Letterboxd I, I remember watching it and doing reviews on it there and people would yeah, uh, about. talk about how it, it was never really gonna <laughs> get yeah, to be shown Which is sad because it's a really fucking great film and it's yeah a really sad thing about yeah it, the, so. the beautiful just just the the scenery you know just the architecture of like the, all the spots that they have yeah. it's and even if you edited really, it for the scenes it's still content with i don't know who knows you know i say yeah i don't think uh, you out, can so, yeah. it wouldn't wouldn't make one more so edited already well uh, that little girl's body <laughs> yeah i know god yeek, so Terrible. All right, well, that's a good part to close with before we get in trouble. So uh, <laughs> with those words, I bid adieu. Good night. Uh, cheers. <laughs>